Happy Monday and welcome to Reading the Bible is Easy-ish, a weekly video and podcast where each week we stumble, bumble, and occasionally brilliantly engage the Bible. I am Hogan Brock, a pastor at 7th Street Christian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Each week we feature a guest offering their perspective and their way of reading the Bible. If you have a suggestion for future guests, something nice to say, or snarky comments, you can send those to readingthebibleiseasy-ish at gmail.com. And of course, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share wherever you have found it. My guest this week is the man who made me who I am in a lot of ways. Uh, it is Dave <laughs> McNeely. Hi, Dave. Hey. You know, it's funny because when I met you, I, I just Mulan came to mind and I said, I'll make a man out of you. <laughs> found a dragon and went on a quest and then yeah that's that's how I got here Dave tell us a little bit about yourself your uh your religious background and yeah where you're coming from today sure so I am an over Baptist Baptist uh I grew up in a Baptist church I went to a Baptist college and then I went to a Baptist seminary before I broke ranks and uh, did some extra study at Iliff School of Theology, <laughs> and now I work at a Baptist institution. Uh, so uh, I have really been Baptist by default most of the time and by conviction some of the time. So um, that's my religious background, uh, and I currently serve as the Faith and Justice Scholars Coordinator at Carson Newman University and also as an adjunct professor of religion there. Awesome. And I'm curious, could you say a little bit about the way I mean, you, you claim to have been raised Baptist, immersed in, in Baptist life, but I know that the way you approach uh, scripture or the way that you approach faith is uh, Baptist in some aspects, but moves beyond that in others. Could you just say a little more about that? Absolutely. So I'm really thankful for um, the Baptist tradition I grew up in because it gave me not only a love for scripture, but also just... Um, a posture towards scripture that it's really, really important. Uh, so as, as I've evolved and developed in my understanding of how to read scripture, um, the two things that have stayed really strong since my childhood were, number one, it matters, and number two, it's something that you can be really in love with. Um, there can be desire there. Um, but as I, as I grew in my education and my spiritual formation, um, I also learned so much from so many other traditions uh, and, and two traditions, honestly, that I always feel stuck between two poles is the, uh, the Mennonite Anabaptist tradition and the Catholic tradition. Uh, with the Catholic tradition, I, I deeply appreciate how deep their theology and engagement with scripture is when, when, you know, for instance, Pope Francis says something, there's typically like 1500 years of thought behind it to how he gets there, as opposed to um, my free church tradition is just like, well, what are you thinking today? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then with the Mennonites and the, the Anabaptist tradition, I just love that they were essentially born out of persecution and resistance. And so they had this unique way of viewing scripture that has taught me a lot, especially as it relates to ethics and, and how I actually live my life. Um, so, but, but those really stemmed me out and broadened me out into just learning that, um, so the Jewish rabbis often say that the Torah has 70 faces, which is a way of saying that there are so many different angles about it. And, and some rabbis even say the Torah has 7 billion faces because it's reflected through each one of us. Uh, and, and I, I've learned that each person has something to teach me about how I look at scripture. Um, and so I, I really appreciate all the 
things that the traditions offer us. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, for people who know me well, it will uh, be easy to draw lines for how I ended up where I'm at. Um, my my Mennonite loving uh, professor and mentor, uh, and me being in a Mennonite seminary. Um, so Dave, let's dive into the text for this week. Uh, if you're new to the show each week, we walk blindly into a piece of scripture having done zero preparation. Uh, the texts are guided by what I'm doing at my church this week, um, and this coming Sunday is Easter. Uh, and so our text for this week is Mark 16, 1 through 8, uh, and it's the guest decision on what translation of the Bible we're reading, and Dave has selected the NIV for this week. Um, so again, that's Mark 16, 1 through 8. So Dave, I'll read through that, and then we'll set a five-minute timer and, uh, and see what we can do with it, or see what we uh, yeah, can, can glean from it. So Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on in the, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled, fled from the tomb, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. All right, so our five-minute timer will start now. So, Dave, uh, hearing that text, looking at that text, what do you? Uh, what are some initial thoughts you have? So, anytime I encounter a text, now the first thing I try to do is to hear what I haven't heard before, uh, and. As I listened to you read today, the, the first thing that came to mind is the amount of detail that shocked mm. me, especially given that Mark is the shortest of the four gospel accounts. Uh, you know, the first nine chapters, especially immediately, 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 you know, everything is moving, moving, moving. And then we kind of hit the pause button when we get to the Holy Week, which, you know, we're in right now. And, um, and then we get to this. And I, again, notice when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices uh, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, um, which was very large. <laughs> uh, and then another one that caught me was just the Jesus the Nazarene. Mm. And I was about to say the angel, but it's a young man dressed in a white robe. Again, details, young, white. Uh, but, but how interesting that the identifying mark, it's not Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Nazarene. That's the identifying mark that this young man slash messenger angel gives Jesus. Why? You know? Yeah. Why the Nazarene? Why, why not the Galilean? Why not? So many options. The Nazarene, though. This is our resurrection name for Jesus, but very few of us use it. <laughs> That's interesting. There's, yeah, I, I I hadn't thought about how specific this is, particularly for Mark, as you said. What what caught me initially um, is just the, 
I, it's always fun to me when we, when we encounter in the Bible, someone seeing uh, that, well, in this case, as you said, the young man dressed in a white robe or something who seems divine and they say, don't be alarmed. Um, and then in <laughs> verse eight, they're immediately trembling and bewildered. Um, and I just, that, that catches me the, the amount of emotion that is present here. Like I'm imagining these women who are connected to Jesus, who've been friends with Jesus, who've been in his, been proximate to him for years. They're going to anoint his body. Uh, and then they're perhaps I'm thinking this from a trauma perspective, right? Like they're, they're getting to somewhere and, and the body isn't there <laughs> and they encounter <laughs> something that is beyond what they expected. Um, and so that's throwing me for a bit of a loop this morning is uh, what, what were they thinking? Um, what were they going to do next? I'm just, I'm unsure of that. Yeah. And, and I, you know, something that I've, I've long thought about in this passage, thanks to my teachers. Um, but of course, this verse eight ends on a, such a strange note. And, and we tend to think that this was the original ending of the gospel, that it ends with the, the women trembling and bewildered who fled from the tomb and say nothing to anyone because they were afraid cut the end, right? Um, That's all you need to know. <laughs> it was like an early Marvel movie, and then you had to wait till the credits to get all the snake handling stuff at the end for the excitement. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, you know, I love the fact that there's such an irony here that mm. there's this silence at the end of the gospel. Jesus is risen, and the only people who know are so scared, they don't tell anyone, except they clearly told somebody. <laughs> because here it is, right? <laughs> the storytellers are winking at us as to say, ah, wow, what about that? Uh, and nobody's like, well, how did we find out about this, right? Uh, you know, the wink is, of course, they ended up sharing this story because they couldn't help but share it. But it was such a monumental thing. Like you said, there's trauma here that silence and confusion were the only proper responses to this. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I'm wondering about, and perhaps this is something I can I can dive into uh, later, but I, I'm wondering why is Jesus going to Galilee? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why is that the first place that Jesus is going, and why why is he why does he want to be met there? Um, so I'm curious about that as well. Uh, yeah, it, we're in our last 30 seconds, Dave. Anything mm -hmm. that uh, anything else you want to draw from, or do we want to move? Well, yeah, I think this is for the next question, so I'll save that thought. Okay. I, I'll leave it there. Okay. Me, I'm going to be a good preacher and get done before my time's up. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I encounter sometimes when I when I read a text like this that is, this is such a familiar story for those mm -hmm. of us who grew up in the church or have been around the church for years. Um, this is a narrative that we could almost quote verbatim right or we could get really close to what the essence of the story is um yeah so i i i'm intrigued by your what can i hear that's different or that's new that i haven't heard before i think that's interesting any yeah. major go ahead I, and i think um i forget the way that you've asked this question sometimes is what what is it you want to you know draw out of this what i think about like if i were preaching this on an easter sunday um i always try to ask myself is there a way I can end our service or our sermon in a way that echoes the way the story ends itself, right? Mm. Uh, now, Easter, we're so inclined to, we want to do the same thing every Easter. We want to leave happy. 
right? We want to get our pictures with our Easter outfits and maybe some flowering crosses and things like that. Um, but we want it to be joyful and we want to be, we want the uncertainty of Lent or of the Holy Week. Yeah. That's gone. We're good now. Things are great. Resurrection. Woo! Um, how do you end an Easter service trembling and bewildered and with people leaving afraid to tell anyone what they just experienced? <laughs> how bold of a, a move would that be from a church staff? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what that would look like, but I, I'm intrigued to ask myself, because uh, I always want to ask myself, the storyteller here, right, is trying to say, this is how I want to wrap this story up. There is a sermon here. There is a message here. And if we have the ears to hear, and I think, like you said, so quickly, we jump to what we think the end of the story is, or what we think the moral is. And we don't put ourselves in the shoes of these women. We don't say, what would it take for me to leave this place and this experience bewildered and confused and not knowing what to say to anyone else? I want the certainty of that resurrection hope. I want to talk about that. I don't want to be bewildered. <laughs> um, but, but maybe, you know, Mark is telling us um, true faith, right? It begins when at a moment of bewilderment, when you don't have the answer of what to do in response to this. Um, who knows? Yeah. I can't really wrong. <laughs> yeah. I love that line of thinking though. I've, I've thought a lot recently and think a lot about stories right stories are the way that we, we make sense of life it's the way we process things it's how we give life meaning and so i think you're right when we come into lent we intentionally muddy the water um mm -hmm. it's dark we're wondering it's it's messed up and so we get to we want to tie the story nicely at the end with easter mm -hmm. um and i think i think what you've drawn me to is at the end of this like there's still more life that's being lived here, right? Jesus is resurrected, but my goodness, there's the whole rest of the New Testament. There's some mess there, right? <laughs> we don't stop at the resurrection and just and just be okay there. There's there's more that happens. The story isn't uh, isn't quite done. So, well, Dave, this has been a rich conversation. I've greatly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining uh, me this week. Um, we will be back uh, next week for the next episode of Reading the Bible is Easy-ish. If you'd like to reach out to the show, uh, request a guest, or leave snarky feedback, you can do that by uh, emailing at readingthebibleiseasyish at gmail.com. Um, again, a big thanks to Dave for taking the time to join us, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, keep trying to read the Bible. 